And welcome back, rugby fans. Of course, this is the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside the familiar faces of Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt and Scott the Big Guy Ferrara. We are your team here at the Rugby Rant on episode 92. So, gentlemen, here we are to be able to talk once again about what's going on in Around the Pitch. So, we're going to be talking about what we think is important, what you should take note of as a rugby fan in North America. And maybe, maybe it's not even North American focus as we spread our wings and talk about rugby across the board because that's what we're here to do. That's what we talk about. And we're going to start this quick fire round, starting off with Rob Hammerschmidt. What do we need to know? Thanks, Ty. Yeah, uh, in case you didn't watch, last weekend, two great semifinals in the men's D1A national championships for the college level. And as a result, we're going to have the finals coming up this weekend here, April 30th in Aviva Stadium. On the men's side, we got Army, who defeated Linenwood, uh, and they're going to square off against St. Mary's, who beat Cal. Again, two great, exciting matches. And then the women had a week off last weekend, but we had the final in place. And that is, of course, Lindenwood University against Life University. I think this might be the fifth rematch of right. uh, these two teams. But again, it's going to be covered on uh, the Rugby Network. It's all lined up, ready to go. Check it out. Some great college rugby action. All right. I like it. I like it. Any uh, any bets being placed by Rob Hamishman on who's going to take it all in each uh, on the men's and the women's? Care to throw it out there? Um, yeah, I think St. Mary's is going to is going to beat Army, um, and that's simply because while Army is a tough tough squad and they're physical, um, I just think St. Mary's um, is a little bit more savvy. They've been there before, and that experience makes it. And of course, I, I just think LU is too tough to beat. You know, they're I think they're going for their fifth national championship in a row, um, and and uh, I think they're they're gonna they're gonna win that. So those are my picks to click. Right. Will history repeat itself or will it be rewritten on that weekend there? So tune in to the Rugby Network to be able to continue following the success of those teams. Let's hand it over to Scott Ferrara. Well, we're cooking already and we're talking about women's rugby again. The uh, HSBC 7 Series is back. The women have been on hiatus for about uh, 10 to 12 days. They're back in Langford, British Columbia. Uh, The interesting part is uh, USA in their Pool C with England, Fiji and New Zealand, the Black Ferns coming in and making, uh, I believe, their their comeback. Uh, I don't think they've been in the last couple of uh, of, of legs here. Um, already dubbed the pool of death. You always love to hear it. Um, I'm very excited. This is going to be a great – I think it's, uh, you know, USA finished top four, right, in the Olympics. New Zealand with the gold, Fiji with the bronze. Um, I think, what, USA finished uh, in, in the top two in the last two series, and then you have an English team – that took bronze in the last tournament. So, I mean, they're, they're just medals galore with this, this pool of death here. Gotta love it, baby. Right. Creates great fan entertainment with that level of competition against one another where any team could really come out on top uh, and you'd be hard pressed to be able to pick a favorite in a group like that. So let's go ahead and stay on that theme of women's rugby. We're going to turn our attention to the 15s game, which has recently been elevated to the stature of receiving its own uh, challenge cup. This is recently what we're talking about was revealed last season as a test is the Pacific four series. Now, originally last season, it was kind of a, a hybrid version of what it was be in preparation to launch its full format that includes New Zealand, Australia, um, and Canada and the US in this Pacific Four series. Now, what's most important about this that I want people to recognize, this is women's rugby at the highest level of the 15s game possible, but it also precedes their upcoming campaign for the Rugby World Cup that was originally supposed to be held in 2021. Obviously, was pushed back to 2022. And as a result, these competitions, these matches are actually going to be held at two 
of the stadiums that will host the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. The first match happens on June 5th, where it'll be the US taking on Canada. You can see it again on June 11th and 17th. So it's going to be a really quick program, and about three or four weeks, and it's going to be its entirety of it. But it's going to set the platform for success later that season when they get to be able to compete for the top honors of a Rugby World Cup. And you can continue to be able to watch that online. Stay tuned, stay close to where you can find all the action. And again, watch Canada and the U.S. take on their opponents from the Southern Hemisphere in the Pacific Four Series. Rob Hammerschmidt, what else do you have for us? Well, once again, we have exciting rugby action here uh, stateside. Um, First time since 2019 that the men's and women's club championships are going to be hosted here in the United States. They're going to be on May 19th through 22nd at Silverbacks Park down there, Atlanta, where Rugby ATL plays, of course. Um, 20 teams total, five men's and women's divisions. going to be really exciting. And I wanted to make uh, a special mention, um, well, two special mentions, actually, that um, this is a, a new uh, kind of conceived format for USA club rugby is that this is their sole responsibility this council's sole responsibility is to rub excuse me not rub but run um (laughs) the club rugby championships Uh, hopefully people will be rubbing some hardware when they're done but um nevertheless uh, (laughs) i also i also want to throw a special shout out um right here the lady chicago lions my girl murph kathleen murphy um a flanker for them they were the Midwest champs. They beat uh, Metropolis 24 to seven this last weekend at my home club, uh, the Chicago blaze and line of the match, Katie Casper, congratulations to her. Uh, they are in the final four. And again, they will be playing at Silverbacks park along with all those other teams I mentioned before. So exciting times for club championships are returning to the United States. We haven't that in a while. Yeah, exactly. It hasn't happened since 2019 because obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. So it's great to be able to see that. And as you so rightly pointed out, for those who don't really know, USA Club Rugby is kind of a, a, a derived from what was known as the responsibility for USA Rugby. So it's great to be able to see them take on this challenge for the first time. And we'll be uh, watching that very closely. And it takes place from May 20th to 22nd and it will be featured online through streaming sources stay tuned stay close to the rugby red because we'll be sharing who that might be and of course we'll be talking about it upcoming i'm sure it'll be a part of what rob has to share in the future and uh let's talk about what's coming up so what do we got from you scott well you know we're talking we rob just talked about club teams and you know one of the things that i think gets lost sometimes the mlr is how teams are helping grassroots uh, rugby develop um, one of the things Rugby New York is doing is on June 11th at uh, JFK Field, home of the Hoboken Red Wings. Um, they're having a 2022 All-Star State High School Tournament. Um, so there's an All-Star team from Rugby Pennsylvania, Rugby Connecticut, Rugby New Jersey, and Rugby New York. And they're going to have a nice tournament, uh, kind of like a, a we, you know, I would call it a tri-state tournament if Pennsylvania wasn't invited, but it's now it's a, you know, four four states. But this is one of the things I think that, sometimes we miss as rugby fans or we don't hear enough about is what each of the teams are doing um, for their grassroots efforts. Now we know because we're kind of in the know a little bit about what people are doing just so everybody else out there knows every MLR team is incentivized to do things like this. Every MLR team, I believe, according to uh, commissioner last year, hit their incentive marks in 2021. I expect every team to hit their incentive marks in grassroots rugby in 2022. They are trying to grow the game one player at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you brought that up. It gives me an opportunity to jump into the next MLR piece. And it's been tradition on the uh, the around the pitch here over the last few weeks, because this season has brought a lot of new milestones for some of those great players that continue to ply their trade here in the Major League Rugby circuit. And the two that get top honors at the moment from last week, April 23rd, two new inductees to the 50 cap club for MLR. Those two are Mika Cruze, uh, Eagle number 538, originally uh, from the Glendale Raptors Academy. Uh, excelled very well to be able to continue onward, upward uh, to play for the Colorado Raptors um, and then eventually moved across to actually 
I stand corrected. I was going to say Utah, but for a brief moment in between, he was actually dropped in the supplemental draft to the LA Giltinis, I right. think, and then moved across to, to Utah um, where he's found a happy home um, and certainly is a wonderful young talent uh, that will continue to produce uh, as he has recently also been crowned as a USA Eagle. And I think actually his first cap was against England, which was a tremendous game um, in, in the July season, uh, you know, internationals last year. So the next one is Lance Williams, the ninth player ever to be inducted into this club. He is a a wonderful flanker, uh, a great uh, um, uh, staple in the Utah camp as well. Five seasons now under his belt. So we congratulate both Mika Cruze and Lance Williams on being inductees to that prestigious MLR 50 cap club. With all being said, gentlemen, you and I have shared what we think is important here on the Rugby Rant that you, as the fans, could continue to learn about and know about. As we all mentioned, it's very important that we share sometimes what flies a little bit under the radar, uh, share what's going on from the teams, what they're doing to help grow the game. And we continue to help grow the game one fan at a time. Stick around because you're going to be hearing more from us in a moment. First, after some of these sponsors. With over 37 years of experience, American Rugby Outfitters have been dedicated to providing quality rugby gear to those who like to get dirty. The ARO team prides itself in delivering the highest quality rugby gear that will withstand the punishment rugby dishes out. Brands such as Adidas, Barbarian, Gilbert, Canterbury, and Protec will deliver when the game gets tough. Whether you need team uniforms, boots, bags, field equipment, or swag for the post-fast social, ARO is your source for quality rugby gear. They can set up your club or business with a team store like they did for us to ensure every member looks as good as the pros. If the international game is your vibe, Arrow will carry you across the line with officially licensed gear from the Eagles, Springboks, All Blacks, England, Ireland, and Wales, amongst others. Visit RugbyGear.com and check out all that the folks from American Rugby Outfitters have to offer. Use the code RANT15 to get a 15% discount site-wide. As an added bonus, when the items in your cart are $100 or more, you get free shipping to anywhere in the continental United States. Don't forget to check out our line of Rugby Rant gear available exclusively at RugbyGear.com. Don't forget to use Rant15 to get 15% off your order site-wide. American Rugby Outfitters, dedicated to the toughest demands in the world's toughest game. And welcome back, rugby fans. Of course, it's time for the familiar rugby debate. And that is known as the rugby rant and why we are here and why our show has become so popular with fans across the nations. And we are here to deliver one more time as there's been a lot of conversation online talking about the recent uh, judgment call in a Toronto Arrows and Sabercats match that left a red card on field for what some say should have been a yellow, what some say they're still confused why it was even important, and others say that it was not nearly enough. They would love to have certainly seen it make a greater impact. So we're going to here to debate what it may very well be. But first best that you figure out what we're talking about and maybe you need a little bit of a refresher so we're going to share a quick video with you to remind you exactly of that moment in question into the mix and houston with another big booming box kick met immediately labuskagni with the tackle and that we will see we may be headed to the TMO. This so, time. gentlemen, once again, it is important to be able to take these moments in rugby and ask, what can we learn from them? What more could we have done? And in this instance, the referee had blown the whistle and decided after the TMO intervention that it was certainly awarding a red card was the right choice. Now, a lot of people have said online that there are mitigating factors many of which I'm going to leave for you, gentlemen, to discuss. And we're going to hand it over, first up, to Rob Habishmith to see what you think, what should we have paid attention to. So if you look at the rugby laws set forth by World Rugby, there are kind of three big questions. Did he lift an opponent from the ground? Labushagni, the answer is yes. Labushagni lifted uh, the opponent. Um, Did he drop or uh, drive the 
the player into the ground? And the answer is yes, he dropped him. He didn't drive him. So I would answer that yes. The And then the last question is the opposition's head, uh, did it make contact or upper body make contact with the ground? And the answer is yes. So you answer all three uh, answers to those questions are, are yes. And thereby you can say that it was foul play. The big question I think for us and for the officials on the field was a Toronto Aris player. You can see them in the video that we watch hit Labushagni as he has the player in the air. Mm -hmm. And that resulted in him dropping the player to the ground and, and um, Vorlax the player. And they determined it was a red card because it was, uh, you know, all three answers are yes. I think that again, going back to the question, but was it his fault? To me, that doesn't matter. As soon as he lifts the player's feet above the head, he's responsible for that action, and he's responsible for controlling that player. And it's as a result of that foul play that all the other things happen, regardless of whether he was struck or not by the Toronto player. And thereby, I think the red card is valid and fair. Yeah, you bring up a solid point because the very first thing that created the risky situation was lifting the player off the ground. And as you said, I love it. You do so, you take responsibility. It doesn't matter what happens between that moment and the next. You took responsibility and safety has to be the responsibility of every player on the field for and against. And of course, for the referees, they're there to be able to make sure that we enjoy the sport we do so, but in the safest manner possible, which is really why these laws are in place. And if we don't properly follow them to the letter of the law, well, then what's the point in any case, right? So I love that. You you, you spoke about the, uh, the the laws. You recognize the different catalysts that that uh, prompted the, 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 the yellow card or the red card situation, and you settled on it agreeing with the referee as a red card. Thank you, Rob Hammerschmidt. Let's swing it over to Scott, the big guy, Ferrara. I'm super hot right now because we're talking about responsibility, and Ty had one responsibility, and that was to wear his rugby rank gear, which he didn't. So what you want to do, guys, you go to rugbygear.com, check out the rugby rant in the team store. Thank you very much, sir, for the yellow. And get your rugby rant merch. We got these great hoodies. We got awesome shirts. We have amazing hats, bucket hats, flat brim hats, trucker hats. We have these nice uh, polos that are coming out. We have great t-shirts, Rock Me, Maul Me, Rant Me. Love those shirts, man. And these hoodies are awesome. I've been wearing mine all weekend. So go to rugbygear.com. Check out the Rugby Rant store and the team stores. And use the code rugby, excuse me, rant25 for the entire month of May to get 25% off all of your Rugby Rant merch. That's rant25 to get 25% off this great merchandise. So let's talk about the responsibility. So I also have another responsibility me and Rob don't agree on much, and I don't agree with Rob's pronunciation. I believe it's Lavashane. Lavashagni. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> well, neither in, one in of us were right. It's Lavashane, <laughs> I believe. Uh, but I think tomato. what we will, but we what we will agree on is as soon as he picks and lifts the player in the air, it is his responsibility. And if he did not pick up the player in the air and he got hit. There would have been no penalty. There would have it wouldn't have even it would have been a penalty. Ground properly, right? Yeah, there wouldn't have even been a penalty. There would have been no question about it. Um, so it hits all three factors. It's a red card. The other thing is, I wonder now. This is this is we're recording before um the 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 league meets. You know, Labashane was received a three game suspension in uh Dallas uh on the twenty first of February um. I believe he did uh, had a forearm to the face of Aaron Gray and was suspended for three matches. So he had uh, a red card in that match, suspended for three matches. He has a red card in this match for a dump tackle, which met all those three factors that Rob talked about. So I wonder what the suspension is going to be this time around. There's a reason that they do these suspensions and, and they do these red cards is because people can get hurt. I mean, let's bring up Rooney two weeks ago in LA. I believe they had four players who had to go into HIA protocol. Now, none of it was, and none of that was due to foul play. Those four players for Rooney going into HIA protocol, but we got to mitigate the stuff that puts you into mm-hmm. HIA that is foul play. And I, I mean, I, Rob, me and Rob don't agree on anything, especially <laughs> like you know, Bears, Packers. Well, apparently Rooney, it's a wardrobe. Nola. You agree on today? Yeah, yeah the, the, the wardrobe today. Is one. The, the wardrobe today and the red card against Labuschagne. <laughs> 
Secretly, this is just your way of telling me I'm not in the team anymore. Oh, you didn't get your gear? Uh, you didn't get the memo. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we ran out of jerseys. Guess you're not playing today, Ty. <laughs> well, it, it's it's you know, it, I like I'd like to bust your chops, but you know, I think I think the other thing is is we saw a couple other situations right this weekend. You know, we there's a, a video floating around at the end of the Rooney New England match. Um, Rooney's down by three. They're driving on the New England five meter mark. Uh, the ball's in the breakdown. And to me, and it could be my biased eye, I'll be the first person to say it. The New England player tries to make the smart move by trying to hook it back, which is legal, right? But if the if you touch the ball with your foot and it goes forward, it's constituted as a legal kick. So from what I saw, it looks like he taps it barely forward. It hits a Rooney player's leg and then it comes back. Mike Lash, the official, is on the kind of back side of that play. And, you know, no fault of his own. The play was on the other side of the field and then came across. And it's hectic and he's trying to get there. And what he sees, I believe, is the second movement, right? So the question then becomes... The video we're seeing from what I'm told is what the TMO sees. So when does the TMO get involved to say, hey, maybe we should look at this closer? Right. And maybe they do look at and what I'm saying is maybe they do look at it closer and they do say the ball went backwards. That I'm not I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying, when does the TMO get involved? Because I think we've seen the TMO get involved too much, and then we've seen the TMO get involved too little. And I know there's a happy medium, but where is that medium? Right. And and that's a struggle for all rugby leagues across uh, uh, the nations, right? is how much involved that, like, you know, it's kind of like a case of be careful what you wish for. We want TMO. Now we want you to control it better. Uh, and we want to know when it's being used. So it is difficult, but I think the first and most important priority would be uh, as it's designed is to be able to evaluate foul play or evaluate and, and review try scoring uh, situations. Now, then the real question becomes, what do we constitute as a try-scoring situation? In this case, with Rooney and, and Free Jacks, with, with you know the pressure of only four points or three points separating them in the final moments of the match, is that a defining moment? And that's where the decision still lies with the referee, right? To be able to ask, yes, can I have the TMO? Sure, let's go for it or let's not go for it. So, you know, there's a lot of people that have kind of thrown these thoughts out. But, Rob, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. You know, when when do we ask the TMO to get involved? And I think uh, you hit the mark on a couple of notes. And one of them is, you know, try scoring opportunities. You want to make sure that, you know, if a, if a try is called, that in fact should be indeed awarded. And we've seen that a lot this year in the in you know, across the board and throughout the league. You know, a, a, an official calls the ball held up goes to the TMO, wants to get eyes on or vice versa, sees a try called, and then they go to the TMO or they ask the AR, uh, you know, what did they see? Uh, but I think the biggest one for me that I want to make sure they get right is foul play. And in this particular case, it started the conversation with uh, uh, Lache, uh, Labashagni. Or, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Classic South African name. So. Yeah. So is you, you want to make sure that um, – that the players are not doing things that are putting, you know, um, other players in danger. I mean, Scott, whether intentionally you know, or not, it's still right, danger. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and if, if it's a second sighting, then a, I, my guess is suspension. He won't be able to appeal to a lesser, you know, a lesser, right. uh, especially uh, if there's a history of disciplinary right? action because of history. And, you know, it, has he learned his lesson from the first one? Because when he lit, he actually turns in almost like, uh, wrestling suplexes that lift that that right. the uh, Vor- Vorlek off the turf and then dumps him and that's well, what causes the, the problem. You know, it's yeah, the, exactly. I was just gonna say the it's tilt. the tilt because yeah. we've seen it in this season where guys come off their feet and it's usually, in my opinion, a height disadvantage thing. It's not necessarily a foul play, like an intentional foul play. But we've also seen them carry almost carry the tackled player to a safe place and set them down, and then reset the ball there. Right, because they're conscious and, of the fact that I brought him into the yeah. air, i got to bring him down safely. To me, it seemed quick, like he went up and down. Like, it wasn't, there wasn't the thought of, oh, i got to hold this guy up. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I understand he got kind of got undercut at the end there, but I think he was going to dump him regardless. That's how I feel it was going down. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a really interesting point, though, and viewing it, our viewers at home who saw the very same footage might come to a different conclusion to us. And you, by all means, tell us if you think we're on base or way off base. And you can continue to do so by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. But there's there's a really, really critical point of this conversation, though, is was that tilt 
then present, which would indicate that he was moving downward and the head was going to the ground before the feet were. Uh, and that is really where intention comes in or whether it's Ill, Ill, Ill intent or not, but still comes back to what Robert originally said. It's still dangerous, right? So all those mitigating factors, yes, there was a push um, from, the, from, from the arrows side, um, which restricted, arguably so, could have restricted yeah. his ability to be able to bring the player to ground on his feet. Um, then the, then you could say, did the player land on his head? Well, you could argue that it was contact with the shoulder before the head, but it's still put in the head below the feet. So, uh, yeah, a lot of really good important points. Rob, I can see you uh, want yeah, to jump in there. I want to add one thing. You know, if you look at the, the world rugby laws, they talk about what differentiates a red or a yellow, and there are, again, three factors. Right. Is it intentional and dangerous? Well, is he intentionally lifted the player up? We know that that's dangerous. Was it reckless? Yes, it was reckless. Uh, was it caused by a non-controllable uh, or was it accidental? Uh, the last part of it was accidental, but by the mm -hmm. time it got to that point, it was already dangerous. There was already intent. And in my estimation, he should have been in control of the situation prior to getting hit by uh, a second Toronto player coming into the play. And, and that's why I would say red card in it. And that is right. And you know, on that note, before we jump any farther, I, I believe Scott, you agreed that it definitely in your opinion was a red card offense, right? Yeah, I, I agree. But we don't agree on much. Me and Robert Green on this. Right. But, but, but we've got one time on record now. <laughs> yeah. Mark it down. Right. Remember this date yeah. and time. Right. But now let's move on to something else that was also a, a moment of contention uh, in, <laughs> in the game. Same yeah. game. Uh, and I'll leave you an opportunity to be able to talk about this one, Rob. So shed some light on what we're talking about. Well, I, I, I mean, Rob, you want me to take it? Because I think yeah. I had a clear. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. So we go, we go for that red card and then we get another. Uh, I think a yellow card from CC Mahoney off the ball, which yeah. is, I think, so left, I think Houston with 13 men. Then we go into uh, Vanderschiff gets an offload from Regling Heist and scores, right? Mm -hmm. It's called on the field as a, as a try. The TMO calls it the uh, try off for foul play against Houston. Yeah. Okay. Toronto kicks the ball into touch, right? I believe then is is that's the hydration break or there was a break yep, of some there, sort. There was a hydration break. They, all of a sudden the the they we come back the points are on the ball uh, on the board and <laughs> they're kicking for conversion. TMO revert, rescinded their decision said we screwed up, we made a mistake, took away the kick for touch put the points back on the board and then had Houston kick the conversion. So, so it was a try on the field. It was rescinded by TMO. Toronto kicked the ball into touch and then they rescinded it again. Which wow. Is, this it, isn't confusing it, at all. And I think for most, for most American, most American fans, you know, if you watch football, right. After you kick the, the PAT or go for right. two, it's done. You can't, it's right. done. It's over. In this yeah. case, they were like, I guess they felt there was no uh, advantage you know, given by having Toronto kick that ball into touch because there was right. no momentum for them. You know, they weren't free flowing in play to say, "Hey, let's look at this again." Or I'm I screwed sure. up. So I mean, I shout out to the TMO that. official for saying, "Hey, I, I screwed up, and that's not right." So right, and, and, we just, and now we had a conversation like this a little bit before we jumped in. So I'm actually going to kind of throw the question out here again. You know, this kind of begs the greater question: Is is it better? For rugby viewing in the experience with the fan in mind that you get the call right or you let the play continue so of course it continues the game moving forward it's less disrupted the viewing experience and it's got better optics than looking like for lack of a better way to describe indecision from your match officials so well, gentlemen yeah I, I think in this case it was a it was a try scoring opportunity and we know that's one of the reasons why TMO exists. Right. Right. So where it was the mistake made, it certainly wasn't asking for the play to review, be reviewed because they thought there was some kind of um, some kind of mitigating right. factor that would call that would allow that try to be called back. So they reviewed right. the play. Right. The problem was up in the box where the review, the TMO review. Right. Is that they made a mistake. Does it beg that, you know, the TMO needs to be a little bit more crisp and on point during a game? Or 
is it that the TMO let things carry forward and went, whoop, we we looked at it kind of it during the course of hydration break. We did make a mistake and we've got to make sure we get it right. Did it cost any more time from the game to make to make sure they got it right? Probably not, because it was incidentally during that hydration break. I guess the question I'd ask is if it didn't coincidentally happen during the hydration break, right? Would it have would been those points back? have stood and would it would it change the match a little bit? I yeah, know. I mean that's that's a really really valid point, you know. And I think that with the moment to be able to reflect uh, on it and, and to you know a, a pause in game that was really an opportunity for them to evaluate it further. That's when they made a decision. And then also how how many times in a matchup has a, a bad call been made, but it's not been called? How many times has it? Right. So if you're now going to start being able to go back, you know, uh, and change score lines, literally. Um, how often can that happen? And if you if that's your new standard, will that happen too often? Well, that that's the, that begs the question because I believe off the restart, Houston scores a minute later again. So it's a two it's a two try swing in that case. So if right. the hydration break doesn't happen, and that's not now, I don't. I, I honestly feel I don't think the mistake was found in the hydration break. I think after they kicked the ball out of bounds, the TMO went. I told him the wrong team. I don't think they went back and reviewed anything. I think he just communicated. Right. He said okay. You're just Houston. saying human error. Yeah, I he said Houston. Team. He meant Toronto. And then when he realized it, it happened to be. A, right, I don't think he was observing team. foul play and yeah. he, he penalized the wrong team, you're saying, yeah. accidentally. Yeah, I, I, in my head, what I'm, what I'm envisioning in his, is in his head saying the penalty went against Houston, meaning the foul play act was against Houston. The penalty should be, you know, the try should be awarded. And he said, the penalty's on Houston. Right. So l- let me ask you this, and, and that that makes some sense. That could very well be so. So was it, and, and I can't remember, was it the TMO official that miscommunicated who the foul play I was believe, on? Or was I believe it, it was the TMO in, official. In the processing of the on-field official, he processed it the wrong way. No, I believe it was the TMO official, but people can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember offhand watching it live, but I'm pretty sure it was a TMO official communicating yeah. it to the outfield. You're hearing that all rugby Which, rant fans take yeah. the opportunity <laughs> to prove Scott yeah. wrong. That's fine. I don't <laughs> listen. And listen, if I if I remembered everything that happened over the weekend, <laughs> please take this fan. one open window. <laughs> but but I think what what it it does is you know we want to get it right. So this if the officials get, wanted to get it right. It, yeah. While it, it did change matter, with I some momentum, him, you know, whoever the TMO is, to be able to say that because it, for rugby to win, it needs to be the right decision. Yeah, and while I do think obviously it did, it does change momentum because it's the beginning of the second half, and Toronto is down. I think seventeen nothing. I yeah. think at the half seventeen yeah. nothing. Yeah. You know, and that's you know a two a, again. That's a that's a twelve point swing. I think at the time. Uh, that's just that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes just like we talked about the Rooney kick right the officials looking at it from one angle and I'm not faulting the official for not seeing what the video sees because he's on the other side it's just that's how it goes that's why I I was I wasn't asking the question previously of the official I was asking about the TMO process and this brings up the question so the TMO process on the scoring is working the question is when is it is they are they only looking at outside of scoring are they only looking at dangerous and foul play or are they looking to get the call right? That's the the question we don't we don't really yeah, know. and that that is a really interesting question um, that I don't think will properly be answered by us. Um, but you know, we were fortunate enough to be able to have the ear and and the wisdom of Marquise Goodwin recently. Um, so maybe it would be a good opportunity to get him back, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we did offer it, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a difficult balance to be able to strike between keeping the game flowing. And getting the calls right, keeping the players' protection and safety uh, a paramount importance, um, and then that balance between all of that has to be made in the split-second decisions. So I do not envy anybody that has the whistle in the middle and has to be able to officiate any of these matchups. It is far harder than any of us mm-hmm. can speculate, right? But it's easy to be able to look back and say, sure, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the ability to view it from multiple angles. We have the ability to revise, to review, slow it down. Yes. Um, and and on that note of slowing it down, isn't that why sometimes it's been interesting to hear the officials mic'd up? 
that you hear the TMO official right. go through an explanation of what he's seeing in the TMO, and then the uh, match official actually repeat it back. So you saw this, then this, then this, mm-hmm. and then can you please confirm and to make sure that they're on the same page as far as the sequence of you know of, of, of the the gameplay so that they can get it right and 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 not make that mistake right and that is the pursuit of uh, our perfection is to be able to reduce that as much as possible to have those calls made incorrectly communication between the on-field officials and just like to make, is so important i just like to make one point if your team is up by 50 none of those calls matter so how about everybody just right? What what do they say in the UFC? Or you team fight down by fifty well, to zero. Well, my point is the UFC UFC president Dana White's famous for telling fighters finish the fight, don't let it go to the judges because you don't know what's right. going to happen. Same thing, finish the fight, be up by fifty at the end of the whistle, and you're not going to talk about what happened at the sixtieth minute or what happened at the eighty ninth minute for you not you know to 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 score right. or do this or do that or whatever happened. If you win by fifty, it doesn't matter. I like it. I like it. I like it. Gentlemen, it has been another interesting debate as promised here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And it's a bit of a treat. We have to be able to ordinarily crown a winner of uh, the title of the top ranter. Now, you may not be aware, Scott, last week, Rob Hammerschmidt was the winner. <laughs> God damn it, Mikey. You had one job. Grand Poobah, my ass. <laughs> now, I feel I like... I take any I'm win gonna... against any uh, Rooney fan as a as a win against all Rooney fans. Listen, just, so just wait till Sunday, baby. Just wait till yeah. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so... On that note, to be able to further fuel this fire, Rob Hammerschmidt, congratulations on this win. There we uh, go. What the hell is this bullshit? <laughs> Just stoking the fire for an even better third week, right? Um, you cannot uh, let Rob Hammerschmidt have three in a row. Tie your checks I, in the mail. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you cannot let Rob Hammerschmidt have three in a row, but you just picked Rob Hammerschmidt just so we get to that. I, I did it in New York uh, way. I paid him off. Next week on the show is Rob Hammerschmidt versus Rob Hammerschmidt. We'll That's see right. who wins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So again, gentlemen, uh, for those that don't already know, and for everybody at home, what we do here truly is out of the pure joy for the game. Um, But one of the ways that we continue to be able to keep doing that is with the support, not only from you, but also with the help of some really, really great sponsors. So both of my colleagues, my cohorts here are sporting some awesome gear, um, courtesy of ARO, American Rugby Outfitters. So again, go and check it out. Your contribution to get yourself some great gear representing Rugby Rant is truly appreciated. And a little bit of that, a little piece of that continues to be able to allow us to do what we do week after week. And if you want to make sure that you continue to contribute as well, even in addition to getting the gear, you can continue to find us in our new home on patreon.com forward slash Rugby Rant Pod. And for as little as only three bucks a month, less than a beer, you can continue to enjoy more Rugby Rant debates and extended interviews in our familiar format of the Run, Pass, or Kick interviews, where this week we take the opportunity to be able to share with you the the player Robbie Povey from the Sabercats, previously Utah, and that gentleman is why I'm wearing the Sabercats gear today. And I'm always (laughs) going to say this, he was the first player to be traded for a draft pick. That is true. And we're going to dig into that and more in a moment when we'll be back with a few short words from our sponsors with that interview, as promised, with Robbie Povey from the Sabercats. Tighthead Brewing Company is not just Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers. It is also a great place to enjoy local acts performing live music every Thursday and Saturday nights. Additionally, their Wednesday night trivia nights are something not to be missed. Tighthead is located in Mundelein, Illinois, and easily accessible for many Chicagoans, as it is just steps away from the metro. Owner Bruce Durr and the Tighthead staff are dedicated to ensure your microbrew experience is as tight as their beers. Bruce's love for rugby extends beyond the origin of his brewery's name. 
Tight End is committed to supporting the rugby community. This includes his support for Lake County RFC and our own Rugby Rant podcast show. Tight End's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and teammates can meet, socialize, and enjoy the wide variety of brews on tap. Regardless of whether your palate enjoys a good IPA or dark barrel-aged brew, Tight Head can deliver. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tight Head Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tight Head, it's worth more than a try. Back for the familiar run, parcel, kick interviews. And on this occasion, who do we have in the hot seat? Well, of course, it's another MLR Rugby Insider. And myself and Rob will be fielding the questions here or sending them the way of this guest. But more importantly, who is it? Well, we introduce Robbie Povey, the man of the moment here today in the hot seat for our run, parcel, kick interviews. Robbie, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. And it's about time that we got someone with a great first name back on the show. We had Robbie Petzer on at one time. Now we got Robbie Povey, so I'm excited. This was actually, for fans <laughs> so they know, was actually a part of our pre-production meeting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got two Robs on the show. It's a two-for-one right. deal here today on the Run Parcel Kick interviews. And to remind our viewers how it works, it's best we hand you over to Rob Hammerschmidt to learn how. Thanks, Ty. And again, welcome, uh, Robbie. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, great guest with the resume like yourself. So uh, for those that are not familiar with a run, pass, or kick interview style, I'm going to explain how this is going to work. We're basically going to fire questions at Robbie for this evening's festivities. And we're going to prompt each question with run, pass, or kick. And just like any good back, Robbie's got some choices to make. And so he can tell us what he's going to do and if he says he's going to run with a question, it simply means he's going to go ahead and answer the question. If he opts to pass the question, it just means he doesn't want to get himself in trouble with co- uh, with the coaching staff or the management down there at Houston, like to stay astray of uh, Heineke. And uh, that you know he's going to move on. Or he can go ahead and have a little fun with us, put us on the back foot, make us work a little bit, put us on the defensive, and he can kick a question. And what that means is that we are going to answer how we think Robbie would answer the question. And he can grade us out, tell us we were shite, tell us we were spot on. But regardless, he can direct his kick to either Ty or myself. And if he doesn't do that, he chooses to make us uh, figure out what the option is. We have to read the play and just like anybody in good defense. And we have to figure out uh, who asked the question. And that is the person that will answer in his stead. So, Robbie, are you ready for the run, pass, or kick challenge, my friend? I'm ready to go. All right. We're all set. Going to fire the first question at you. And uh, this one I think is going to be fun for those folks that don't have a lot of background of uh, and, and where Robbie's come from. So, for those that don't know, uh, Robbie attended the rugby school in England. And for us Yanks, the concept of houses at a school is, quite honestly, pretty foreign. Our only context for understanding, you know, the houses is from the Harry Potter series, of course. And so, uh, Robbie, we heard a, uh, a rumor, run, pass, or kick. Um, is it true that uh, you break into cold sweats whenever you hear uh, or see Harry Potter on the television? Absolute pass. Uh, no, I remember <laughs> uh, no, no, I actually didn't get into the Harry Potters for, for quite a while. I, I jumped around, but eventually got back into it. Uh, I think it was one of my, one of my lockdown series, just, oh, wow. just the pressure of getting back into it. But I was getting a few flashbacks from school. I think they actually had the houses were based on one of the schoolhouses that we had. So uh, it, was, it was definitely weird watching it again. Now, which house were you in? I was in the Mighty Townhouse, which is one of the few day houses out there. Which is one of the few what? Day, day houses. houses. So oh, you have to explain the concept. See, again, us us foreigners, us Yanks, don't understand what a day house is. 
I, I love I love how like you know this is an American rugby show. Rob refers to himself as the foreigner here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just the context of the conversation seems yeah. so foreign to him. <laughs> it's like he needed a passport to join us. <laughs> Both of you had to look like, yeah, I got it, and I had to look like. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The White House. <laughs> but, you know, let's let's stick on that topic for a moment because I really want people to be able to understand. I mean, sure, it has the title rugby in it. it. must be a pretty cool school. But, you know, its tradition dates back to the year 1567, I believe, when I researched it. And, yes, it is considered to be, as folklore may say, the birthplace of rugby football before it was, of course, known as rugby union or league when that split happened much farther down the road and is said to, of course, be one of the great rugby traditions that you have to visit this as a bit of a pilgrimage and, and, and touch the turf itself, of which I'm sure you've had the opportunity to do on many occasions. And with all that being said, that lines up the next question perfectly. But before we do, I want to dive into some of the rugby resume that you have. So folks tuning in, really understand, how did you come to be here in the U.S.? As Rob had so rightly pointed out, what you're saying doesn't make sense to Americans. So why is that so? So let's find out. Well, we talk about you attending rugby school in Warwickshire, the great tradition there. But it goes on your rugby resume to include the Northampton Saints Academy. You told me as young as under 14 that you attended this academy until under 19 when you eventually become eligible for a senior honors. And you do so by making your way through rugby. That includes playing at Bedford, playing at Sale, Coventry, then comes stateside. It is included Utah. Um, and then, of course, now where you call home, the Houston Sabercats. But more importantly, at the highest level of the game, the internationals, you also were fortunate enough to represent Canada U-20s and, of course, the senior side on 11, 11 separate occasions. So it is certainly so that you appear to know your rugby and have made it your life. And on that basis, let's dive into the next question to talk about some of that life so far. All kidding aside, for those that follow rugby, the rugby school is a magical allure. And to uh, it's uh, and because of it's considered the birthplace of rugby, as I said before, as a student and athlete that attended this prestigious rugby school, did you feel like you were a part of something special in a very special place? Uh, it's it's definitely a very special place. It's it's very surreal. The school the school's massive. The town was actually built around the school, um, and so you'd be walking a good two two kilometers or a mile and a half to get to some of your pitches when you're when you're youngsters under fourteens. There's loads of traditions. I think uh, you'd, you'd wear your tweed jackets, and the the ladies at the school had skirts that went all the way down to the floor so they were very much uh had their traditions and you're in you're in your own little little world out there um but just walking past you'd always see the plaque going to going to chapel or lessons in the morning uh the plaque where uh, william webb ellis picked up the ball and ran with it um getting to play on the close which is the first team pitch which is just absolutely unbelievable Spent, spent most of my years out on the rugby field or the cricket pitch. So, um, yeah, it was definitely really special to be a part of. Awesome. It, it, it is truly, as Ty mentioned, it's a place to take a pilgrimage when you go to the UK. And I think for those of us who are involved and in, deeply embedded in the rugby community here in the States and haven't been to the UK, you, you got to visit, uh, visit the rugby school. You got to pay homage to uh, William Webb Ellis uh, for what he's done for the game. Um, so moving along from that, and, and we're going to kind of continue along your educational and rugby path here, you studied physical education uh, and coaching at uni, or again, for us Yanks, that would be the university. Um, run, pass, or kick. Are you applying your skills and knowledge with the Sabercats currently? Uh, I'll run with it again. Um, yeah, I think so. I think having spent that time studying that degree, I'm always thinking about whether it's sort of the way we run things or I've been fortunate enough to help out with the under 19s and uh, HTX even just the other day, our academy team, um, and trying to put all that that knowledge to good use, um, sort of thinking of different drills, sort of looking at the way our sessions are run and if there's something that I would tweak slightly or want to do something slightly differently. So it's, it's, it's a good thing, I think, that I'm always sort of thinking critically about it. It's just sort of one of the, the lessons they taught you there. So, yeah, I definitely think it's very useful. 
Excellent. We love to be able to see that. And it's great that you're working with, you know, those younger players, you know, cultivating that next generation and you have some of the skills available to be able to make them even better. Um, And, you know, that's what rugby really is about. You know, one generation is serving the next generation. And, you know, it's always about that who's filling the next jersey. They do their duty to it. uh, And you use all the skills that you can to be able to do that. So let me dive into the next question here. And here on the Rugby Rant, we focus a lot on North American rugby. And obviously, that covers the Major League Rugby itself. uh, As you know, well, we started in 2020, so we've really been following it before then, but more so as the show. And a lot of things have changed in a very short time for Major League Rugby. And on that note, from what we have learned and what we've gathered through our time, our research has shown us that you are actually considered to be the first uh, traded player uh, for the MLR. So, so this, for folks that don't know, wasn't exactly the common thing at the time. You first were at Utah, then we came across to, to the Houston Sabercats. Uh, and, and maybe you weren't even aware of it when it happened. So I guess here lies my question. Um, did you know about this? So two points here. How did you find out about the trade uh, from Utah to Houston? And does this trade hold any nostalgia for you? Do you do you think that it's got some bragging rights? Does it sound really cool? Is it a feather in your cap? You tell us. Um, so I was I was aware of the trade happening. Um, it was all a bit sudden with COVID, and I was at university at the time, so I was chatting with their GM and their coaches, trying to figure out what was happening for next year, trying to sort out if I could play play rugby in the MLR alongside my university courses. So I basically, I got in touch with them very early and they were sort of unsure of what was happening at this point. Um, so they sort of said, well, we need, we need to hold off for a little bit. And uh, I, I got some information from my agent coming back to me saying that the Sabercats were really keen to have me. Um, so then between the two of those, they, they got chatting and then arranged out the trade to happen and uh, got in touch with Paul Healy, who was the director of rugby then, and it all, all fell into place nicely. Um, and then the second half of that, it was, it was definitely weird, especially coming from back home, sort of more traditional rugby sense back in England. Mm. We, we, I had no idea trades were possible. I didn't really know what was going on. Oh, Robin um, Scott on the show had to explain to me what the yeah. draft system was before, <laughs> like numerous occasions. So yeah, we we come from different rugby culture. So I get what you're saying there. Yeah, definitely. It falls into that North American brand, which I think you sort of, you learn to appreciate when you're out here, but mm-hmm. I was very much about, I had no idea what was going on um, on that front. I, I was, I was aware of going to Houston and then it's this trade and then this is happening and that's happening. Uh, and then I've had the people ask me, or I always ask the question of, um, well, you're the first player. Well, I think with America being the first league to have trades, I'm the first player in history to have been traded. Uh, and how do I feel about that? And it's always a bit like, well, I don't know if you always if you want to be traded because um, it, it sounds <laughs> like you're not wanted by one club. But then I always I got told the spin of that just means the other club really wanted you enough to trade something for you. So it's it's just sort of it's been good to get out here and it's just getting game time for me and being able to play at that, that highest level I can do. So I just appreciate it either way. And it's worked out pretty well so far. So uh, fingers crossed it keeps on going that way. Yeah. It's just really about, you know, presenting another opportunity, right? You, you, you mentioned the fact you look at it with the glasses half full that a team right. wants you and you get another opportunity to play someplace at a, and if they want you, they're probably, and they spend some capital to get you, they're probably going to be looking to invest some time and an opportunity in you. And that's what yeah. it's all about. And you spoke about, you know, just that developmental pathway a little bit. And you spoke about HTX, of which you've helped out in the coaching realm. So that kind of connects to the next question here. Uh, We know that uh, HTX is an integral part of the Sabercats Rugby Development Organization. And along with uh, the 404 Pathways, probably one of the originals here in the MLR is as as a pathway to development, then on to MLR. Uh, success. So run past your kick. How has HTX helped to grow the game in the Houston area? Uh, I'll, I'll run with it again. I think, um, I think it's, it's really good. I think it gives certain uh, guys an opportunity to come and experience a different level. Like there's not always the, the strongest level of coaching in certain aspects and for them to come in, especially this year, the way it's been run, we've had a lot of our, our senior coaching team has, has been responsible for helping 
bring up those HTX guys. And even then, when you haven't got those guys available, you've got you've got players on hand. So I helped out. We had mm-hmm. Billy Brits helping out. Um, obviously, nice. his resume speaks for itself. And just sort of trying to give little tidbits to, to guys playing the game and sort of having that different perspective on it. So it was, uh, there was one guy the other day who was saying, oh, he wasn't enjoying his rugby as much. Um, I think there's definitely a few, quite a lot of players that go through that cycle and just sort of chatting with them and helping sort of them figuring out. Obviously, it's hard. They're working at the same time. So finding that right. Rugby is just as much mental as it is physical, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, and it's interesting because there's uh, some strong connections with the HTX. My son plays at Lindenwood. Of course, there's a couple of guys that, that are down there were drafted. And then Alec McDonald, it was great to see him uh, go along that pathway of development through the HTX. And then now he's gotten a couple starts in the front row and the senior and that with the, you know, with the first first side, um, mm-hmm. you know, Sabercats. And it's awesome to see. And of course, Jake Hildago is from up here where I'm at in Chicago. And it's good to see a former Lion get his uh, earnest stripes with the Cats. So um, all good stuff coming out of HTX. Right. And that's what you'd love to be able to hear, as you so rightly pointed out, these guys that are maturing and graduating to the senior programs for those same clubs. And they're going to be among the most loyal rugby players, right, because they're growing in that culture. They've helped define that culture as well. Um, And, you know, I'm sure you felt the same that when you were at the Academy uh, for the Saints, you know, there's there's you're a part of something bigger than you that just makes it work. And actually, I'm going to come up with with an off script question here. And it's Uh returning to a debate that we've had in the past. Uh, And here now, so 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 few times I have an opportunity to be able to have somebody that's kind of like gone a similar uh, Mm -hmm. journey as well. Definitely not up to your level, but I know rugby in a different realm. Right. So here's my question. We had this debate. Do you prefer run, pass, or kick the traditional academy system like it may have in France or South Africa or New Zealand and other great countries of rugby across the globe or the newer sort of American brand style of the draft pick from college athletes? Ooh, ooh I'll, I'll, I'll run with it. I'll keep, I'll keep, I'll keep the running up. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. In the game, anyway. Um, We're heating up. Though. This is just a <laughs> yeah. warm up, by the way. We got more coming later. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's a tricky one. I think, I'm, I'm quite a fan of the the usual academy system. I think that works well. But in in the, the way that is it runs over here in North America, I think it's quite tricky to have that because you don't have the sort of the same hotbeds everywhere. It's more right. It seems like the there's a certain colleges, universities um, that are really strong and recruit teams in, and that's where they get that experience of doing these different things. I also think it's really good that they can do that education alongside their development of um, of their rugby. It's back home. It's very much you you finish school at 18, and they want you in. They want you full time. They want you doing this, right. and it's quite hard for guys to have something to fall back on, obviously. You have to sacrifice a lot. Exactly. The professional world is really ruthless. And I think, you know. Right. There's like 500 academy players and maybe five senior spots. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think it's good that they have the opportunity to do that. I know a lot of guys back home that when they go through, they try and get part-time sort of online university courses. So I think, I think there's pros and cons to both of it, but I think sort of, the way that is in America and it being so vast and spread out as well, I think it's it's definitely a good thing. And I think that it can it can be really developed and it's something personal to Yamalot. So it's so interesting. Like you're, you're leaning towards the, the draft system because it makes sense in the U.S. landscape, given the challenges yeah. they have. And, and that's pretty much the same way that we were thinking. Right, uh, uh, Rob Hamishman? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I love the fact that he talked about the geography uh, makes it a very different animal. And and I think that's a pretty strong undercurrent of a lot of those philosophical differences and questions that come up when you start to compare the United States to other uh, smaller, smaller geographic rugby playing nations. You know, in in the UK, you can, you know, walk uh, a mile and a half and you're at a different club, you know, Um, whereas is here, it's, it's much more spread out, as you say. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And an interesting topic for the fans to continue weighing in on. Tell us what you think. Do you perhaps prefer the traditional academy system that's known from across the globe and think that it can be transplanted and make a success here at home on American and Canadian soil? Or do you perhaps think that the draft system certainly does make a lot more sense? And a reminder, we will be continuing on the rugby rant to be able to capture all of that upcoming MLR draft. Make sure that you continue to follow us on the uh, under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod for more great content for myself and the gang here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And a reminder for those of you, if you wanted to be able to learn a little bit more about this guy in the hot seat here, Robbie Povey, of course, uh, a great MLR staple, a wonderful ambassador for rugby across the globe, but of course here in the US right now with the Houston Sabercats, all you got to do is head on over to patreon.com underscore make sure that you find that's under the handle at rugby rant pod and for as little as only three bucks a month you can help us keep the lights on your contribution no matter how small it may be makes a difference collectively for us to keep doing what we do each and every week for you as the fans to help rugby grow one fan at a time and we'll be back again soon <laughs>